the following is a special presentation by DM Fiat Podcast. Vampire the Masquerade, Gem City 21. A Vampire the Masquerade campaign told by Andrew Seipel. Dayton, the city of a thousand factories, has long been an industrial linchpin of the Midwest. In a scan due to two decades past the turn of the century, the gym city is roaring along with the rest of the 20s. It's a decade of change. Women have the vote. Alcohol is banned. Great war is over and the decimation of the Spanish flu is coming to a close. Thanks to the gumption and innovation of two native Daytonians, mankind has begun to conquer the sky itself. But for the kindred of Dayton, change of a different sort is coming. The upheaval that started with the Great Flood eight years ago is building to an inevitable and inexorable war. And below it all, something ancient and bloody stirs again. Welcome. Gem City 21 is a Vampire the Masquerade game using 5th edition rules. The setting and rights belong to Paradox Entertainment. The game is using NPCs and setting information from an upcoming book currently planned to be published through the Dark Pack license on the Storyteller's Vault. Look for it sometime in 2023 if this interests you. Please bear in mind this is a mature game, and the players are monsters, not heroes. A whole lot of horrible ideas and dark and gruesome things could come up in this recording. Lions and veils have been discussed with players beforehand, but different people have different tolerances, and we understand that. I am your storyteller, Andrew Seipel, usually known as Lost Demirge when I'm online. Players, please introduce yourselves, name your characters, and we'll start with our host, DM Fiat. Thank you for the Easy Channel. Take it away. Thank you, Demirge. I am... Dark Gaia, or Dale, usually known as DM Dale, when I'm doing this in my own games, but I'm not the DM here, I'm merely a player. This is a special DM Fiat series. For the very first time, you get to see me giving in to the whims and desires of another. And I shall be playing Tommy Four Fingers Hinton, the Setite bootlegger kingpin of Dayton, Ohio. All right. Alt, would you care to take it away? Uh, yeah, so uh, I usually go by Alt online, and this is my first uh, VTN session with this group. Uh, I'm going to be playing the Nosferatu Sam, uh, who works with Animal Control and is trying to figure out his place in the world. All right. Ash, you want to tell them who you are? Hi, I'm Ash. Uh, I go by Gray online. Uh, you might know me from the Wall for the Second City campaign. Today I'm going to be playing Helena, a Malkavian who thinks she might have a lot more in common with Nosferatu than you'd expect. And last but not least... Uh, hi, I go by Paradox Mimic online. I'm going to be playing a caitiff cowboy gunslinger who has yet to be named <laughs> man with no name yep <laughs> and we'll hopefully be flushed out a bit more a little soon <laughs> all right so we're going to tell a roaring 20s game we're going to tell the story there however before we get to the meat and bones of this small glazed setting we're going to go ahead and uh, have a few preludes. 
for various uh, hapless mortals. We're going to see each of them die. So I hope you're here for that. <laughs> Who's up first? Who would like to take a whirl? Yeah. Well, we have to start with someone, so I shall take one for the team. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Can't be quick and painless. <laughs> There's a smell that comes off uh, Celia's folly. It was supposed to be a canal back uh, when canals were really a thing, 1840s, somewhere in there. But the guy who uh, sold the city on the idea didn't sell the landowners on the idea. So what happened was that you got a really big drainage ditch that breeds mosquitoes and stops absolutely nowhere of use, just spurring out from one of the other canals. That's where a certain illicit casino can be found. Haymarket is Dayton's red light district. It's the infamous Pearl Street is lined with licensed bordellos, many of which use the uh, happy and polite pretension that they are hotels. And well, they are that. It's just, you know, the bed's a little warmer than you might expect out from other establishments. However, Tommy Fourfinger's establishment is nowhere near the main action. It's back toward the back of things. And until recently, it was a place where you could go to bet on dog fights, roll some dice, flip a few cards, and lose a paycheck. But then something changed. And Tommy's little sideline and uh, bathtub gin suddenly got a lot more important. Why don't you go ahead and decide, describe the building for us, will you there? So, Tommy's Casino, or it's as the sign that hangs on inside above the casino floor reads Eddie's Casino is a building that Tommy inherited from his mentor in the criminal underworld Eddie the Hammer Fulton the man who showed him the ropes and who eventually entrusted him with taking over the casino from the outside it appears to be nothing more than your standard run-of-the-mill apartment block. Two, maybe three stories, red brick building. No distinguishing features on the outside that would indicate there's any sort of business going on here. Most of the windows are boarded up. The front door leads to an empty lobby that leads to an out-of-order elevator and nothing more. All of the action is in the basement, and there's one specific door around the back that the regulars know to come to and knock on three times. Only three, never more, never less. Anyone ever knocks four times, or two, or one, Tommy's enforcer holds out his hand, 
indicating to everyone within to be silent. All chatter stops, the dice stop being thrown, the cards stop being played, and the building is silent until the uninformed outsider decides that there's nothing here worth their time and leaves. If you do knock three times, the door opens and you're escorted in by a stony-faced, pinstripe-suit-wearing goon, his Tommy gun plainly visible, hanging, hanging over his right shoulder. And he leads you down into what was once the cellar and boiler room of the apartment tenement that's been cleared away and expanded and turned into a casino floor at least in the loosest definition. This is not Vegas. There's no red carpet. There's no decoration. There's no decor. It's brick and concrete and dim flickering lights. But the gaming tables are here. And for the most part, they have a reputation of being honest. Like all casinos, the house always wins. But Tommy doesn't obviously rig his games. And usually on most nights, someone gets to be the winner. Beyond the casino floor, in what was once an old storage closet, is Tommy's personal office. Here is where any decor budget has been spent. The walls have been turned into tastefully oak, into tasteful oak panels, there's carpet, and Tommy sits behind his mahogany desk, constantly overseeing his many, many avenues of business, more and more growing each night. And this night, business is running as per usual. It is. The crowd has gone pretty good. That, though it's a little reduced, the Spanish flu is still surging hard throughout the world in this year of 1918. But uh, people are coming to terms with the Volstag Act, which has recently passed, and that has really boosted your earnings. Now, here's a question. Ah, my bad. Hang on. 1919. That's when it's going to be enacted. To be taken effect in 1920. So we are jumping the gun a bit here. That's fine. In this case, the gambling is more important than the alcohol, at least for the time being. At this point, the alcohol is simply an accompaniment, the house special, as it were. You come to Eddie's Casino, you get a bottle of moonshine if you spend spend your cash in a certain way. Yeah. And so it's a decent night. The recent sickness has kept many people away, but the ones who are spending are spending hard, trying to buy away their misery. And here's a question for you. Tommy's men, 
are they you got a fair amount of allies I saw you bought that there I sure do let me ask you a question did you go for quality or quantity so Tommy goes Tommy doesn't know anything about subtlety and he's not really you know refinement is not a word that exists in his vocabulary so Tommy goes for quantity here he's got so many men that the casino is crawling with them and while many of them may not even know how to shoot straight that's not what's important what's important that is that they stand there that they look imposing and that they hold their guns so that the patrons don't get any funny ideas all right yeah they do have a fair amount of guns casino makes good money and the army surplus has been coming back something fierce from the war it's a buyer's market out there now you got you got one or two uh pretty pretty decent men pretty men who can be trusted to do jobs you tell them to do they do things like running bribes managing the money or letting you know when there's trouble and right now, one of them, uh, call him Gus. Gus is coming back through the through the door of your office with a worried look on his face. Hey, uh, boss. So Tommy's seated there behind his mahogany desk, and as Gus walks in, he sees Tommy there, half covered in shadow. Tommy has arranged his office so that his desk is up against the wall that's opposite the light, that, that's directly underneath the light bulb on the wall, so that the light shines out and illuminates the entrance to the office and the office itself, but not so much Tommy, because Tommy likes to think the shadow adds to his air of menace. And what Gus sees is a big, solidly built figure, grey pinstripe suit, and a very imperious, neutral face, the finer details obscured by the shadow. Tommy looks up at Gus, and in his right hand, he holds a ball-peen hammer. And before he regards Gus, he just looks down onto the surface of the desk in front of him and there is a single walnut lying in amongst a pile of sh a pile of nut casings nuts that have already been cracked he looks up at gus and without saying a word slams the ball peen hammer onto the walnut immediately cracking it sending the shell casing flying off the desk Tommy reaches down, picks up the nut, and crunches it in his teeth. And then he narrows his eyes, leans forwards, and he says, Tell me this ain't your mess up. Uh, no, no. Uh, there's a... There's a guy. He's... He's, um... I don't know. He's winning a lot. You should come see. Tommy shrugs and he says, 
<sighs> you know, I don't like to make myself seen on the casino floor. Why aren't you guys handling it? Throw in one of the loaded dice. Make sure he loses his next bet. Shouldn't be a problem. Well, I mean, he's on the cards, and we tried the marked cards, but... The dealer can't... I can't explain it, boss. I don't know what's going on. Tommy shrugs, pulls open a drawer, throws the ball-peen hammer inside, and produces a set of brass knuckles that he slides over his four-fingered hand. No one knows what happened to the pinky finger. Every time someone asks Tommy, he tells a different story. He got shot off in a firefight with police. He cut it off in penance, Yakuza style, or it was simply a birth defect. Slips the brass knuckles over his fingers, stands up, takes a stretch, and he says, All right, Gus, let's, uh, let's pay this guy a visit, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he seems to take some heart from that. You've never seen Gus so flustered. That's one of the reasons you promoted him promoted him to bag man. And he holds the door for you. And follows close at your heels once you get out there. That's not a far walk to the casino floor. Maybe a hallway, maybe a turn. And you're about to ask him which guy needs pounding when you realize you don't need to. Your eyes are drawn to a slender man, all in, all in black, who's blonde hair, back, and cold blue eyes, bomber's eyes, husky's eyes, ice. As he's smiling and playing cards with people, and you realize that you're not the only one looking at this man. Everyone in the casino is staring at him. And he grit. He grins. Oh, hey! Yeah, you sure you want to play that hand? I wouldn't if I were you. I got a really good one. He says to the guy across from him. And the last guy in the car, in the poker circle kind of nods and just, like, folds. And the man smiles. Sweeps in the chips again. Flips one to the dealer. Keep it rolling. I'm having fun. Tommy turns to Gus and nods towards the man. And he just says, snappy dresser. Mm, clothes like that, he's got to be one of Sanetti's gang. As far as I'm aware, we still have bad blood with them over that last shipment of moonshine. Follow my lead. And then he clenches his fingers around the knuckles and steps up towards the man. You do so. And the closer you get to him, the more you're finding yourself looking at the details on this guy. Just like the little touches, the way his collar is crumpled, the way that he's got an onk hanging down the cut of his neck, some foreign-looking pendant with the scrolls on it. And the way he's squinting, like he's almost having trouble seeing. But he smile, but he turns almost to you as you come up. And there's something about his smile 
It makes you happy to see it, though you don't know why. Hey there. Help you, friend? Welcome, friend. I see the uh, night's been productive for you so far. How many hands you up, friend? Uh, I didn't count. This is my first time playing. Was I supposed to count? Tommy turns. You did me a disservice, Fred. He, the dealer just kind of... Sorry. Sorry, sir. And this is the first time you've heard the dealers call anyone but you, sir. Tommy takes notice of this. He whirls around, nearly slams his fist down on the table, narrows his eyes to the dealer, and he says, Sir, what, you on Sinetti's payroll now? Sinetti? I'm afraid I don't know who that is. Uh, are you the man in charge? Tommy thinks for a moment. How could this person not know that he's the man in charge? Fred is Fred is stammering at this point and shrinking behind his, like, croupier's hat. Tommy nods and he says, Yeah, I'm the man in charge. Now, look around, my friend. You've walked into my domain and, well... I'm sure old man Sinetti thought it would be amusing for you to come in here, make a fool of my staff, and clean out my casino. So, I'm going to uh, make you an offer right now, and that is you withdraw that next bet, you quit while you're ahead, and you go back to old man Sinetti and tell him next time he sends one of his men in here, they will not come back out. I'll make you a better offer, but I think we need to talk about it in your office, and hey, I'm pretty sure we can talk this out. And I'll need to go to go and roll me your composure and wits, please. Yes, yes, composure and wits. Let's see, we're going with a dice pool of four here. Lucky dice. Three, uh, four. That is two successes. And suddenly. You're staring into his eyes. Oh. Oh, he means you no harm. He could mean you absolutely no harm. This guy, this guy is good. This guy... You have never had a friend like this. Necessarily, you know he's a friend. He's not one of Samedi's. So I lead him to my office. And, there's... and you see him you see him twitch for a second as he stands, then turns to the dealer and says, Take I want you to take all this money. And I want you to fucking kill somebody at random. He tucks it into the dealer's pockets. And he's saying, speaking a little lonely so that you and the dealer can hear. Everyone else at the table has seen how which way this is going as was booking it when you were giving the spiel. I don't fucking care. You 
take this money, you'll kill somebody. And if you don't, I'll know, and I'll find you, and I'll take it back, and you'll be the one in the ditch. He pats the dealer on the cheek, and the dealer runs for it. And turns around straight to the scholar. Sorry about that, bud. Let's go talk in your office. Yeah? So, as Tommy leads this strange man to his office, conflicting thoughts are running through his head. This guy, he knows instinctually, means him no harm. He's a friend. He's definitely not one of Sinetti's. But at the same time, there's a voice in the back of his mind, and it's shouting, What are you doing? You let this guy into your office, he's liable to paste your brains over the walls. But this voice is shouting into an empty room. Tommy reaches the office door, grabs the handle, pushes the door open and gestures for the stranger to enter, pointing to the leather upholstered chair in front of the mahogany desk. Take a seat, friend. I'll be with you in a moment. He sprawls on it like a throne, kicking back from the desk and relaxing. Good shoes, you notice, abstractly. Of course they'd be good. He has great taste. Tommy looks around. He sees one of his men look over, meet his eyes, and nod as if he's asking if Tommy needs a standover man there to watch over this. And Normally, Tommy would have a man in the room with him, but some reason he looks back at the guy shakes his head and then pulls the door shut strides over to the mahogany desk sinks down into his chair and then produces a bottle of moonshine from the cupboard under the desk pulls out two shot glasses without asking the man pours two shots grabs his glass holds it up waits to see what the man does. Uh, Waste not want not. (laughs) Cheers. He taps his glass, knocks back his drink, and then he folds his arms, looks at this snappy dresser, and he says, okay, you got my attention. What'd you want to talk about? Hmm. Hmm, how do I put this? Sinetti, this Sinetti guy, how long has he been a problem? Couple years? Two years? Four years? Well, let's just say when I inherited this establishment, I inherited the ongoing feud with Sinetti. Runs a bordello down the street just recently he's opened a gaming house trying to cut into my clientele hmm yeah but here's the thing he'll come he'll go they'll all come they'll go and let's be frank if you make a step wrong sooner along sooner or later you'll be the one going Tommy lets these words linger and then he says that a threat friend no just an observation it's 
moths, brief lives before the flame consumes them. Its heartbeats that eventually fall still. Nobody gets to be on top all the time unless they have a really good edge. And I mean, you, you're a tough man. You have a good gang. You run a decent business. You've got that sense about you. But all it takes is one twitch. All it takes is the cops getting a bug up their ass. All it takes is somebody like Sanetti slipping somebody in at the wrong time. One bullet and it's gone. Where you're talking, friends, I get the impression you're trying to uh, impress on me the gravity of whoever you work for. Now, let me guess, you're part of some outfit from Cincy, maybe Indiana. Hell, if I'm lucky, maybe you're uh, connected to someone like Capone down in Chicago, am I right? Oh, man, you're completely and utterly wrong. Tell me, are you a religious man by any turn of the word? Well, uh, all I know is that the good book says the Lord helps those who help themselves. Mm. And, well, take a look around. I am a fan of helping myself. Yeah, you helped yourself, but did the Lord help you at any point here? Did he come out and, like, hustle the hustle the marks for you? Did he help uh, rig the tables? Did he, like, boost your guys out of jail when they had one too many? I like or to was think... That you? I like to think that, well, everything I do is part of the Lord's plan. At least, that's what Eddie used to say. See, we are put on this earth in pursuit of happiness. That's what the Lord wants. And, as you can see, I'm a purveyor of happiness. What if I told you? You could have a lot more happiness and a lot more time to do the Lord's work. And what if I told you you could have an edge that would keep you from being just another disposable mook in a suit who one bullet could wipe from this earth? Tommy still not quite getting it pours another shot glass, downs it in a single gulp, and he looks back at the stranger and he says, so, uh, what would it take, huh? 20% cut to some outfit in Cincy, or? What it would take, my friend? Three things. Three things I'd ask of you. First, I'd need a cut of your money. Not a lot. 
just oh maybe once a month send me a thousand or so that number is ludicrously high by the way he's asking for a lot thousand a thousand Hmm. now too much now who do you think you are exactly come in here and demand that I give you a thousand of my hard-earned dollars every month and I'm not even getting anything out of it save for all this cryptic talk about bullets in the brain and fleeting moths and all this shit Are you a hammer man, or a knife man, or an ice pick man, or what's your weapon of choice? Tommy just raises his arm and clenches his fist around the brass knuckles, and he says, I like to do things personally, if you know what I mean. Good. Break my nose. Tommy looks at him and says, Break your nose, huh? And let Something me guess. Something in him you know, recoils at the thought. This guy's great. This guy is... For all you're giving him guff, this guy is maybe the first person you felt comfy in talking to for a while, but he's asking you to do it. So... The voice in the back of Tommy's head shouts once more into the empty room. What are you doing? You lay a finger on this guy, suddenly Vanagoon's going to roll up from Cincy. Blow the casino away. You've laid hands on their boss, on their man, but Tommy doesn't care. Clenches his fist and takes a swing at the man's nose and that's going to be a strength brawl i'm presuming sure is go for it okay that is five successes he doesn't dodge he doesn't move he takes the hit you feel cartilage give, you feel bone give, you feel his skull crack as he back in the chair then rocks forward and you can see teeth knocked askew because, you know, it's a meaty fist, the brass knuckle stripe caught him just so. You can see his jaw bent, you can see his nose clearly out of shape. There's very little blood. And yet, you're, you're kind of surprised he's still standing. That would be enough to put most people out. That would be enough to put most people in the hospital. And he looks at you. And his skin seems to get paler. The veins in it standing out as you see the nose expand and fill out like a mushroom blooming and fast clip you see him open his clothes about a few times as fragments of teeth turn into full teeth and with that pop his jaw snaps back into place tommy's agape 
clenches his fist as if he's thinking about going again, but he can't do it. He just stares back and he says, I'm my own boss, Tommy, and you can be your own boss too. Well, first thing is a tribute of money and it'll take your savings until some from your savings to get full that thousand until we get more in line. The second thing is that I'll need you to do me favors sometime. And the third thing, you're going to have to lose that guy you've got, Tommy. Let me tell you all about a guy named Set. And as his teeth grow and his mouth extends and as he leans in toward you, you find yourself frozen as the eyes staring into yours go golden and slip pupiled. And that is how Tommy Four Fingers Hinton died. Let's see. Who's next? <laughs> Why not? Go on, Helena. Okay. Helena. What's Helena's last uh, name? Helena. Helena. I What's actually Hel- have a last name for her. Um, mm. Call her. We can decide it later if you prefer. Yeah, no worries. All right. The car, the car pushes its way back out of the city. And the suitcase is heavy in your lap. For months, it was the only remnant of your old life. Occasionally, you'd open it up and take out the trinkets you brought with you, nervously work over the clothes that you brought with you. A little valise of your home to keep you company in the sanitarium. Not some place with a padded cell. No, no, no. This is a uh, one that wealthy people, like doctors, pay a good amount for their daughters to go to when they're suffering from attacks of ill humors. Or in your case, something different. The doctors and nurses spoke to you quite frequently. They even brought in a fellow uh, who was said to have studied with Freud. No, uh, his questions about your father were entirely inappropriate. Were any of them any real help, Helena? Not at all. Uh. And now here you are. Going back to the family home. Not... Not in... And your problems have not shifted. It's hard to say if this was... Time well spent. Driver pulls up at the the estate. A uh, 
small man, small manor house tucked at a bend in the river. There's a nice little patch of wood behind it and a bit of a hill. Most of Cincinnati is on a hill of some sort. It's one of the few places in Ohio where the train's fairly broken. And uh, the driver kind of brings the car to a stop at the uh, old coach house that's been turned into a garage and uh, hops down. Take it back, miss. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Mm, No problem at all. And he leads you up the drive. It's not much of a walk. A long time since I uh, saw this place. Mm. Months? Hard to say. You lost track. Ain't much changed. Um, Mr. Abernathy's here. Got to call on you. You say anything particular? Alex Abernathy. You grew up together. You played together. He's had a crush on you for years, and you don't know why. He deserves so much better. And as the as James opens the door to the uh, to the manor, you're looking at the great hall with a double balustrade staircase leading up to the central landing, and. He's there, a little paunchy, a little nervous, hair slicked back, uh, shortcut, straw boater hat in hand. Alex stands. Uh, Helena! Uh, Alex, didn't expect to see you here. Oh, well, um, I heard you were coming back today. I I wanted to make sure you got a proper greeting. That's, uh, that's, that's awfully kind of you, uh, uh, shall we go inside? Uh, of course, of course. Yeah, they, he steps out of the doorway and lets you enter. Um, I, he kind of gives a glance to James and James nods. I'll, uh, your father should be uh, finishing up at his practice. I'll go see him there. Hang on a second, please. James rings a bell, and a, uh, after a few moments, uh, one of the servants, Hetty's her name, bustles out of the kitchen, takes a look and goes, you see, you see her mouth words, oh, Lord, as she comes to Alex. And simply nods. It wouldn't be proper to leave you alone without a chaperone, and Hetty will do the job. You see her heave a sigh, look back in the kitchen, holler, Finish up that roast! And shut the door, go over to a seat and sit down, glowering. Um, how was your vacation? Says Alex. Uh, uh, you know, you know it was, it was, um, Productive. Hmm. Your um, your father wouldn't uh, exactly give me the details. Um, um, we're uh, 
the doctor's able to help with your illness? Uh, my my illness. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I I think I think I think I'm doing better now. All right. Whoa. Well, since since you're doing better now, I, I was wondering if um, you would reconsider my suit. Uh, and, and slowly he starts reaching his hand into his pocket, and you're seeing a box about the size of the ring starting to be, of a ring being withdrawn from it. Oh, oh gosh, uh, uh, Harry? Yes, am Uh, how's that dinner coming along? I'm, I'm anxious to see Father. Mm-hmm. He turns, she turns around, kicks the kitchen door open from her, she's standing, How's that dinner coming? And there's a holler back, and she kicks the door shut again. This it's coming. Uh, great. Uh, uh, she sort of just sort of like her hands. She brings her hands and doesn't really know what to say. Um, oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, said Alice, Alex. I, I didn't mean to push you so hard after after your recovery. I'll. Hmm. Why don't I let you get some dinner and we'll talk again tomorrow? Is that okay? That, that, that's that's fine. I'm sorry to be a bother. I, it's been a long drive. Oh, you're you're no bother. You're no bother at all. You, you never are. It's it, I'm I'm very glad to see you. And he awkwardly reaches out to take your hand. Uh, Helena sort of just like very uncomfortably places uh, her hand in his. And he must have seen it in a movie or something because he's trying for a full European style moi kiss on it. It. And it feels wrong. Helena uh, instinctively sort of yanks her hand back and realizes what she's done. And she sort of is. Speechless, staring at Alex. There's a very awkward moment that eventually fades when he coughs and makes his way up for the door. And he gives a loud, mm-hmm, as he goes. Speck, you don't need me no more, Miss Helena. Uh, please, do it, do what you want, it's fine. All right. Hey, it's good to have you home, all right? Your father, he been worried. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. Uh, We've been worried, too. A lot of time at the office. Yeah, that sounds about right. A little more gray. Ain't none one getting us getting younger. Hopefully I can 
see more of that progress in my eyes. Her face softens a bit. Why don't you come into the kitchen? Uh, Keep us company while you co- we cook you dinner. Are you sure? You ain't no trouble, girl. Uh, like she wants to just go off to her room and be alone for a while, but she obliges, knowing she would be rude to not. Elena receives a pleasant surprise. The kitchen staff bustle and work on that work on dinner, and for the most part, they are picking up on your mood and leaving you be. So, there's a few there's a few hours spent there. And, uh, yeah. Does Helena, Helena eventually sneak off to her room? I imagine she would after a while, yeah, but she might have um, soaked in the energy a little bit, being around people who aren't, you know, in carts. She does. And it's dark by now. And they bring you your dinner in your room. Your father still hasn't shown up yet really working late and you eat it alone as usual looking out the window as you have so many times before what is it that comforts her in this view Uh, being that she's quite well off uh, she's lucky to have a fair decent amount of land on the property and she always really enjoys just seeing the trees swaying back and forth they the do. Yeah. You're kind of up above it all here, on a little bit of a hill. The river down at the base of it and the trees catching the breeze is just right to sway back and forth. Which... And in the moonlight, a flicker catches your attention. Something moving in a way that isn't of the trees. And for a brief moment, there's a pale face in what might be a suit. Somebody's staring out from the wood line. You'd swear it. Hella has spent quite a long time away from normal socialization, and she's not immediately shocked to see something out of the ordinary for a moment in the corner of her eye. But she she does start a little when she notices him. You get the impression, though the distance is quite far, you get the impression that whoever it is is staring right back at you. But then you blink and it's gone. I think she'd just chalk it up to something she must have just imagined. Over the next few days, your father eventually does come home, but he keeps odd hours, hard hours. He has ever since mother passed. And he... talks to you here and there scrutinizes you carefully and then seems to puts on 
a show of normalcy of her father. Awesome. Give me a subterfuge or performance with composure. Sure. Um, subterfuge or performance with composure? Yes, your choice. Three and three plus three plus add a specialty and false assurance for subterfuge. So this totally off. applies. So I'll take seven then. Um, Putting on the brave face to fool Danny. That's three successes. Yeah. Does seem to relax. Uh, and uh, he spends a little more time with you during the days. At one point, he goes out walking out by the trail. And he asks, hmm. So, have you given any thought to the future, Elena? Honestly, I'm, I'm trying to focus on just the present at the moment. Hmm. Uh, is something. There are a number of uh, colleges that have started admitting more female students. And you are a little older than the average uh, alumnus, but uh, you would have the opportunity to make more friends. Uh, that could be. That could be good. Uh... Well, what, what, what were you thinking? What kind of, what kind of uh, education? Oh well, there's a number one number of them around. Um, there's actually one called Wittenberg up in Springfield that's getting good name for itself. Uh, as far as fields of study go, uh, that would be entirely up to you. Perhaps as a nurse, perhaps as a teacher, perhaps. Um, something clerical I you've always had a knack for numbers well you know I've also always been interested in your work uh, yeah. nurse nurse could be interesting oh well I, I, I'll see about if I can start making inquiries and uh, perhaps we'll see what comes of it yes oh okay Hmm. Oh, wait, it seems to leave him. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Oh, um, that, uh, that, uh, that the Abernathy boy, um, Alex? Yes, uh, would you mind if he called a little more often? He's been quite anxious to see you return. And, uh, <laughs> I've told his mother that uh, without uh, dedicated chaperone present, I really have to observe propriety. But if you like, I can arrange something, and he can come by more often. Uh, uh, gosh, uh, I suppose. I suppose so. Uh, why not? All right, I'll see what I can do. And he glances up at the sky. Ah, sun setting. Probably better get home. Don't like the look of those clouds. Indeed, there's some weather rolling in. Mm, and as he, yeah, 
As he returns, the night, it's been quite a walk since the woods are, you know, your, your property is so large, the woods are a ways back from the house. It's night by the time you're getting in, just 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 fallen. And as he goes and heads inside, something catches your eye, and out on the patio, just for a second, there's a man... There's a, there's a strange man sitting there. He's wearing tightly cut trousers. He doesn't have a jacket. He's got a white shirt that's unbuttoned down to his chest. He's got brown hair kind of combed back in a rakish look. And as you're kind of stopped there, frozen looking at him, he smiles at you. And though for the life of you, you can hear a thing, and though you'll try for many times, you couldn't say what his voice sounded like. But you know, he just asks, asks the question, are you really happy? Is this really what you want? Is this how you want your story to go? That's definitely going to stick in Helena's mind. Um, I think as far as the interaction goes, she would just sort of think a few times and run inside and try to pretend that she didn't see anything. On the third blink, he's gone. You run inside anyway. Was it a hallucination? The, the uh, doctors at the sanitarium heavily implied that her sense of reality was warped and she's really begun to doubt her own perception. It doesn't do much for a mental state then when she sees him again. And a third time when the rains have swollen and there's talk of the levees breaking. And then, then when the river is swollen, then when you're packing up your things frantically, Hetty and James throwing things in the back of the car as the Warnings are coming down. The dams to the north are breaking. The flood is here. With the rain pelting and your father gone in the city, in the city. He was working late. Of course he was. It's up to the servants to get you out of here. And you're doing what you can to help. That you know words were said again and there's no... But you can't recall the voice. Hey, hey, come down here quickly. There's trouble. Come on. Uh, she calling from the woodline. Calling from the river. Implicitly, she will do as she's told and uh, seek his voice out before you find yourself, what she's doing. You find yourself running, you don't know why, running and slipping in shoes that are entirely inappropriate for the slope of the hill. And then you see, down where the river is swollen, there's a boat. Must have been somebody fishing on the river. It's hard to say. The boat's overturned and the 
his limbs reaching out against the flood, against the battering water that's roaring through the gulch. People are there. People are like, people, the boat is caught in the bend for a second, but only a second. People are tangled up in it and trying to get free. And you see the strange man braced against a tree, arms stretching out, trying to get to one of them, looking at you. You'd think, and probably anybody else in the situation would be concerned about the people in trouble, but Helena just looks straight at him and yells, He stares at you. With a crack and a roar, the boat slips free and screams fade into gurgles as the people are swept away in the tide. Then his eyes dart above you and he yells, and you remember him yelling, Watch out! As you turn into your horror, there's a dark mass falling on you, roots tearing free of the soaked earth as the tree is coming straight toward you. Um, she would probably make to avoid it, but um, do you want me to roll on that or just... No. You're... The next few moments are a tangle of pain and mud and dark and water and something filling your mouth. Something cold and delicious and salty. Something that you can't help but drink even as your body screams in pain, pain that fades as you feel your heartbeat swell and stop. And you come to choking on mud and blood, sitting on a tangle of wood and and mud and muck and bodies and trash that's fetched up further downstream, the water roaring past you as the uh, man is slumped, licking his arm, then leaning on his hand as he looks at you, kind of with a resigned expression. And again, that not voice, well, I couldn't let your story end there. I hope someday you'll come to forgive me for this. And that's how Helena died. So, and then there were two. Who's next? Still working on a name, but... Uh, I'll put my hand up. All right. There we go. Paradox time to think of his name. Sam, then. All right. Let's talk about Sam. (sighs) Mailbox is full of bills. This is not a new occurrence. but it does mean you're going to be working late for a while. 
took a long time to afford your own shop to buy the traps you needed. Honestly, for a lot of the problems, you don't bother using the traps. You've gotten pretty handy with that crowbar. And the other tools. A lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, trapping vermin just involves getting into a place where you can get to them. And from there, you can usually figure out what you need to do. Sturdy gloves and the willingness to grab a 20 or 30 pound ball of hissing fur and flying claws. Well, you know, it's, that's mainly what gets you through. Yeah, except that it isn't getting you through lately. The bills are mounting and you're sorting through them one by one until you come to an embossed envelope that decidedly doesn't look like a bill. Slitting it open and folding it out, it's fancy stationery. It's a uh, request from City Hall itself. They have an infestation of raccoons and would like to retain your services for their removal. You know you'd been making a bit of a name for yourself. You didn't realize you'd been this successful. Only later does it occur to you that maybe nobody else would take the job. Nonetheless, piloting your rattletrap uh, model A down the road through the rain, because it's been raining cats and dogs lately. You head downtown, turn onto Monument Street, past the tall buildings, taller than any you ever grew up with, and navigate the traffic. At one point, you have to stop as a, the uh, guard, the traffic policeman goes out and stops traffic while a train rattles through the intersection. The tracks go all around and through Dayton. And the city just kind of grew. Been growing a lot lately. A lot of people coming in from out of town looking for work. From the butt end of Ohio, from the back places where two most folks don't have two thin dimes to run together. They grow up hard and go to better places looking for some place to make an, their honest dough. That's you, isn't it, Sam? Trying to be as honest as possible, I suppose. Yeah, that's definitely Sam. Yeah. Not too many good memories of the farm, huh? Oh, definitely not. Every time he thinks about um, back at the farm, gets a little bit of a chill from, um, from his family, but still thinks quite positively of them overall. It says a lot about a man when he thinks more of the dogs than he does his family. And the memories of them are a lot fonder, anyway. The pangs is hard a bit, having to leave them behind. Yeah. Can't really go back and visit. Not with any things were left. And, uh... It's night by the time you roll in. It, they asked you for you to show up during the evening when they were closed. 
and a uh, harried-looking woman in her 40s with a chain from her spectacles to her hairpin kind of op opens the door for you. Oh, yeah, the exterminator. Yeah? Yeah, I heard you have a raccoon problem. Yeah, they're all, all over the place down below. Um, listen, we're willing to pay a good uh, $3 a head, okay? Three dollars a head is a obscenely good rate. This is three dollars a head is a equivalent of about forty-five or fifty dollars buying power in the modern day. Uh, Sam just does some calculations in his head for a moment, uh, seeing kind of bills flitter through his mind, and also the giant clawing balls of fur that he's going to have to deal with, and uh, definitely makes the decision to go through. All right, I'll let you downstairs. Uh, just uh, call me, give a call, and come on up when you're done. Um, try not to bring him through the main lobby or anything like that. I'll show you a site. I'll show you uh, the coal stair. And she leads you down, uh, you know, pretty much turning the valve and lighting up gas lamps on the walls as she goes. Gas lines all through the city. It's all very modern here. And, and she leaves you pretty much in this dingy sub-basement that seems to go on forever with moldering old boxes and a musty smell. And Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's the raccoon scent. You'd know it anywhere. Have fun! She smiles and retreats far faster than her shoes, what you'd expect her shoes to allow. You hear them clattering upstairs and then the slam. So, how does Sam normally go about this? Does he have a set uh, method? Be, um, he'd definitely be taken by that for a second because he'd be quite used to people kind of uh, palming off his uh, the rodent problems onto him and scurrying away very quickly, uh, not really worrying too much about what he's going to have to do. Um, so he'd kind of uh, mentally brush himself off and uh, have a look around, staring down the stairwell and uh, trying to get a, a feel of the, of the environment. All right. Scoping out the place. Give me a wits plus investigation. Wits plus investigation. Um, so yep. that would be a uh, four and three. So that's a seven. Mm. This is a good skill. Good. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. Uh, let me just... There we go, that's a success of five. Five successes? That's five successes. All right. Any of them tens? Uh, let's see. Uh, yes, that's one crit. Okay, one by itself is not the, is not a crit, but uh, what if you get a pair of them, good things happen. Still, five successes okay. is really good. Yeah. Five successes is... Why? You realize, okay, the smell's not coming 
from here. This isn't the main nest. They're getting into here, sure. They're shredding things up. Look, you're seeing signs that they were having litters in here, though the time for litters has passed. Yeah, but there's no food here, so that's not the main draw. And that's what leads you to the hatch in the floor. The hatch that you have to move a half-crumbled box off to find that it's a jar and looks like it has been for a while. They're coming from deeper down. Uh, I'm assuming... Now, Sam, now Sam, more of a kerosene lantern guy, budget, effective, or a uh, heavy flashlight guy, chunky, expensive batteries, doubles his club. Uh, he would definitely be a kerosene lantern kind of person. All right. There's no way he'd be flocking out for a heavy duty flashlight, not at the moment. Yeah, that, that's just too much money. You light her up, you kind of tie it around your belt, and you descend down the ladder that's revealed after you pull the hatch out the rest of the way. And yeah, this is the smell. And the grease on the rungs. Raccoons leave that for behind from their fur. So uh, what does Sam say after he's uh, slowly descending this, uh, these rungs? You're seeing some... You're seeing what you first think is it's taking you into the sewer. And it's like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. But the smell doesn't get worse, and you realize, no, no. It takes you down to a section of storm drain. And, uh, which, actually, it's got water seeping in and through. Rain's been really heavy lately. But, uh, this actually looks like it's been blocked off. So the question arises, where are the raccoons coming from? And then you agree, remember, oh man, the little fuckers can swim. Ooh. Sam grumbles to himself and bars his brow, kind of sloshes around in his wet shoes for a second, feeling like maybe he got the worst end of the bargain, even with all the extra cash that's coming his way from this. Still, $3 a head, Sam. And with this much concentration of scent, uh, you're looking at least a dozen. Uh, does he see any like specific uh, area where they might be hanging out, or hear anything, or smell anything that could um, direct him to where? Well, um, with where that five in investigation, yeah, with that five investigation previously, I'll tack that over into this, and yeah, you do find a place where because it's muddy here. The water stirred up dirt and dust and filth, and uh, it's turned into a mac. The tra mess, the tracks are very evident, and you see that it looks like there's kind of a ledge down in the still water. If you just duck under there, you'll come up on the other side, and the tunnel continues on. You'll have to wrap the you have to extinguish the kerosene lantern and relight it on the other side. Maybe wrap it so the water doesn't get into the chamber, but that's not too hard. You are going to be absolutely filthy after this, though. Still, that's not a situation you're unused to. And you do. 
$3 ahead. That's not only bills paid, that's next month's bills paid. That's maybe an honest steak dinner if you peel 50 cents of that off. That's... Uh, night on the town, maybe. As he makes his way into the still water, he's kind of like unwrapping the lantern and kind of patting himself down for a moment, just making sure he's still got like his loop, maybe a bit of rope or a bag or something, just to just some preliminary stuff to grab at least one of them to make the trip down here worth it, to make sure he's got everything all on him and he's ready to mm-hmm. ready to do the, the dirty job. And you take the plunge into the dark water. Seems to take an eternity. It's much less than that. Finally, you burst free, gasping on the other side. 20 seconds, maybe? Hard to say. But you're through, and the dark tunnel stretches out. You relight the lantern without any trouble and proceed forth, dripping. Feet squishing on the mud. couple of times rats go squeaking as you go. Big rats, some of the biggest you've seen in the area. Which is a little odd. Normally they don't occupy the same places. They compete on food normally. And some of these rats would be big enough to give a raccoon a nasty wound if it came down to it. But they know what you're here for. Sam mutters under his breath. Well, I really hope that they maybe pay me for this as well. Hmm. Are you stopping to take care of the rats too? No, definitely not. It'd be hoping maybe they become a problem for City Hall a little bit later down the road. You follow. You. That's true. Future work. You follow, but the trail's fairly easy to find. You follow the track of hand-like prints through the filth, noticing that some bigger ones are joining it as you go. Some of these raccoons are huge. Sam will start to feel a little bit uneasy and kind of uh, make sure he's got his pry bar handy. Just in case. Yeah, the pry bar in one hand, the lantern in another. Wouldn't be the first time a raccoon's gotten the jump on him. And you're maybe about five, five, somewhere between five and fifteen, it's hard to tell. Many turns down the tunnel. When you turn and when you turn a corner and see the corpse. Sam will obviously jump back for just a moment, just like one quick step back, uh, shot, and after regaining his composure for a moment, because obviously it's... he's not unused to corpses, try and hold up the lantern to get a better look at exactly what you can see. Yeah, there is a twisted corpse embedded in the filth of these old tunnels. Half of it's out of the water. It's kind of slumped back. Its skin is shriveled. 
it's got mold covering every inch of it. And there are chains across the throat, through the mouth, binding the arms, leading back into the back into the walls, down into the water. Sam's going to mutter under his breath, what the hell is going on down here? And just kind of... Uh, and at the mutter, a little bit. corpse stirs the chains rattling against its teeth, twitching, thrashing. Uh, Sam will absolutely kind of trip and stumble back and drop his lantern. The things go dark and you can hear it Nothing but the corpse. <laughs> and then you hear something more horrifying, Sam. You hear the ping of snapping metal. So what would you like to do? Can Sam tell in any way what the ping of the metal might be? Sounds suspiciously like a uh, thin gauge chain coming loose from a wall. Uh-oh. Uh, in a... In a... Frantic Fury is going to try and reach around to try and um, grab anything that he's dropped, anything at all. If uh, tripping and dropping the lantern, obviously, may have smashed it or um, something, but um, he's just going to reach around for anything he can use to potentially defend himself. You fumble, you go looking, you, you, you manage to snatch up your pry bar just as the light shifts. And behind you, You realize there's someone who's just lifted the lantern from the play of the lights. You can tell there's somebody right behind you, Sam. Sam's stomach drops and um, he tries to swallow as quietly as he can. As he can, his mouth goes dry. And he'll try and very carefully turn around quickly, holding the pry bar. There is some... I will say that through all this, the corpse has not stopped gagging or twitching. You can hear the rattle of chains, some of them loose as it's thrashing, the sound of splashing in the water, the metal against the wall. And Sam's turning. You're staring at a chest. A gray-skinned chest, slick with mud. Large pictorials, and you look up to a bald face and a mouth full of jagged teeth going in every which direction. Well. I think you are coming with me now. And then he drops the lantern into the water and it goes out. Does Sam have an opportunity to try and make a scrambled run in any direction he can Sure. Remember. Give me an dexterity plus athletics. However, you are hindered due to the fact it is pitch dark, so g drop two dice from that particular roll. Drop two, so that would bring me to uh, three in total. Meanwhile, I'm gonna roll something for this fine fella. Uh, so that's two successes. 
you almost make it. Long experience of struggling with possums and crawl spaces has taught you when you feel the wind on your face, you back up. You almost make it. As you duck under the arm that looked to be ready to clothesline you, you can feel it whooshing over you, some massive, slick inhuman muscle. You almost make it. But when he grabs your foot, you go down hard. And you drag through the darkness, unable to resist. Through the mud and the slick, past the thrashing, whatever it is. And then tossed unceremoniously onto a hard floor, bruised, battered, trembling. And there's a hissing as gaslight flares up, and you're looking at a a circular underground chamber with posters covering the walls with lamps hanging around only one a few of them lit guttering a chandelier with actual candles swaying in the breeze of the disturbance rank down here water flowing through and keeping the mud moving and all around you, a circle of monsters. Well, well, well. The, the circle parts to reveal some mockery of a throne. A collection of three or four bar stools that have been fused together like a mushroom growth fungus shooting off in different crooked directions. A backboard that was part of a shipping crate. And some bloated thing that looks like a cross between a man and an alligator. His mouth snout-like, distorted down, opening way too wide as he speaks, his tongue poking through a hole in his cheek. What do we have here? What you bring me, Torben? Someone poking around there, you shouldn't. Gaslight catches milky eyes, black eyes. Some normal human eyes looking from this makeshift king back to you. (sighs) What do you have to say for yourself, little morsel? Sam kind of stammers to himself and blinking, trying to not make too much eye contact, but still trying to obviously be respectful to whatever this strange political scenario is that he's locked into and make a, make whatever he can of this situation. Um, and he stutters and stammers for a second before he finds the words and um, 
Eric <laughs> begs for them not to hurt him. Says, just please, come on, I, uh, I, there are raccoons, I, uh, I'm supposed to be, oh god, please don't hurt me. Eh? You beg. The thing on the makeshift throne sits back, stroking its jaw. Kind of one long nail scratching through its scaly skin. Le kind of scratching leeches off as fat bodies bursting or popping down to its lap. And as you beg, figure to the side steps forward. A man who's wearing clothes that look to be made mainly mold. A man with fuzzy patches on his skin shrunken looks like his face is kind of caving as it says it's you know he's nothing really we could uh, just get Francis to wipe his memory send him on his way my prince does he really need do we really need to kill this guy? We should kill him, says the one who brought you in. It is the rules. He has seen too much. No telling how far back his memory goes. Sam, uh, Sam pipes up for a second and says, I didn't see anything. I'll just... I, I swear to God, I didn't see a single thing today. That's why you think I am, says the thing on the throne, standing full, its belly swaying ponderously as it gathers itself. It's at least eight feet tall. It's got thin, spindly, long arms, short legs as it waddles toward you. You think I'm nothing? That's what you think. That's what you're saying. At this moment, Sam will be um, absolutely gobsmacked and have no retort whatsoever. Usually he's a bit of a smart ass and um, has no problem telling people that what he thinks or um, maybe insulting them a little bit. There is not a chance he's got anything to say about this. <sighs> if I'm nothing, then I think the best thing best way to repay you for this insult is make nothing of you, too. And he's on you in a heartbeat. That cold, that just goes temp clamped down on you, and for a second it's like, whoa, I did not expect that. Then there's a great slurping noise, and you hear a sound nobody should hear, and that's the sound of your own bones caving in on you as your blood is withdrawn at way too fast a speed from your body. Your vision starts to go, and the, the, you are barely conscious of him tossing you to the side as he calls out, One of you! Turn him! We're gonna play with this one for a while. And the last bit of consciousness you have as a living man is the monsters crowding in around you. Some reluctantly, some eagerly. 
And that's how Sam died. And then there was one. Unless I'm mistaken, Paradox is the oldest vampire in the Coterie. Yeah, so... Appropriate that he's last. So, so if we were going to be in a movie here, this is the point where the title screen would flicker, where the screen would flicker and say, 1873, Dakota's Territory. You thought up a name for this here uh, ombre there, Paradox. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Morgan Conley. Morgan Conley. Yeah. All right. Morgan. Uh, been a long trail lately. We're in the godforsaken Dakotas, where there's trees and mountains. And death if you go in the winter in the wrong place. But... There's good money to be made. Especially since they found gold. Problem is, it's on native land. But, well. When have the, mer when have the good citizens of the United States ever let that stop them before? So you're in a town that technically ain't supposed to exist. Little patchwork, one street thing with buildings made hewn from the local timbers. They call it Deadwood. You've seen it worse. But it has wars and whiskey, and those are some probably two of your favorite things that start with W, I bet. Yeah. Pretty close, yeah. Yeah. In any case, it's a nice change from your thoughts, and uh, the company is a little more talkative than your horse. And the saloonkeeper, guy named Al, is talking year off about a local problem. So he's telling these fucking hoople hits. <sighs> There's something in the air lately. I can't quite put my finger on it. Some ill humor going on. And it all happened ever since they found that cave. Said so there was tribal shit there. Native shit. I don't know much about it myself. They were looking for seams and well, the boys that were running that stick disappeared. Thing is, he points out the window at the Walk of Deadwood and yeah, as just as he does so, you hear a gunshot. Al winces. I'd eh, take is gonna make another dime. Anyway, thing is, the boys are getting worked up about the local tribe, saying that the Redskins done killed them good, them good fine prospectors. I know them all; they were pieces of shit. But you know, they just kill somebody. Suddenly, there are pieces of shit. Stupid. There you go. Thing is, if things go the way they normally do in Deadwood, I bet one of them pulled a gun on his buddies down there in the dark and uh, gave him a nap. Well, he made off with any gold. So what I'd like you to do 
and maybe a few other guys. What I'd like you to do is get yourself together a posse and go down in that mine. Well, that cave. They they were going to make it a mine. I don't know if it is one. And see if there's any bodies down there. We get them back. I can maybe convince these idiots not to go on a rampage. I got. I don't lose a bunch of good customers. What do you say, there, Mister Conley? Go in this cave, get some bodies, come back. That's it. Yeah, or at least you know, get some witnesses to say, "Hey, there's bodies down there." Because I really do think uh, one of them shot the others and made off with the gold. If there was any to begin with. Or maybe just shot him. Fuck if I know. That's not the normal job of Tepler Run, but... Hell, I don't see why not. We haven't got anything better to do. He smiles. Reaches under the counter... And as he tends, he's like, whoa, Vertex, I don't keep no gun. I'm not like you. And he comes up with a handful of gold dollars. Half of front, you'll probably want to use some to hire some deadbeats. Other half when you get done. I expect to have word in by tomorrow by tomorrow morning. I kind of need this done now, he says. And with that, he, Morgan finishes his drink, takes the gold, and just heads out. All right. How much of the gold are you spending on a posse? Or any? Uh, how much was it? Three coins. That's three gold. Oh, golden dollars are worth quite a bit at this point in time. But uh, $3 worth will buy you three solid men. Not great. Not really much on imaginations, but uh, desperate enough to go to a dark cave with a stranger. And tough enough that they think they can take you if it's a double cross. Uh, Spoilers, they probably can't, but you know. Hmm? Uh, He'd probably spend two little coins on men and keep the third for himself. All right, only two of them. Yep, they call themselves Frank and Luke. Frank's got a bit of a lisp. Luke's got a twitch to him. And uh, as you go, you can't help but notice the notice that uh, there's a fella steepling on the on the uh, street corner. Gonna get a hold of these red bastards. We're gonna string them up. The ones we don't string up, we're gonna beat them to death and grind their bones. And as he roars that, the crowd roars back. There's a primal feeling to it. Deadwood's out there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the sea of black on the hills and the trees, and beyond the lights, you can always feel something pressing in in the summer heat. And then it passes. And you're gone off into the hills, following the trail that Al had this, has a psychic Dan show you. 
back into the Black Hills. Yep. Solid walk, and uh, fortunately, Luke thought to bring himself a couple torches. As uh, it takes those to pick your way through the trees and back to where the exposed cliffside is shifted recently. And a portion of rock has fallen away, revealing a crevice that goes down. And what I would like you to do is give me a dexterity plus us athletics to worm your way down into that deep crack in the ground. On the upside, you don't have to worry about hunger. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's three successes. Three will do it. You scramble down into the cave, a torch in one hand, bracing yourself and navigating through the darkness. There are, you can hear, you can hear dripping. Not a lot. But as you get further in, you see the source and that stalactites above. Stretching down to stalagmites below. It's sparkling here. Some buildup of something you might know as calcite if you had a proper education, which I'm not sure you do. Uh, <laughs> it's it's shiny. It's slick. Crystals. And you're not seeing anything down here. Then after some investigation, you you spot it. There's an opening up on the wall and a narrow ledge that winds kind of around the mouth of the cave and up the wall of the cave to get to it. But with your successes, you manage the climb. It's a bit perilous. You end up having to toss the torch up there, up to the ledge, and just use both hands at one point. Luke manages, barely, He's doing his best to suppress his twitch, and he has it takes him double the time since he's stopping to shake every now and then. But he finally is up next to you, panting. Frank doesn't make it. Frank gets halfway up. His foot goes out from him, and he screams as he falls. And there's a crunch, as you can see, a stalactite is punched through his shoulder. Stalagmite, sorry. <laughs> Shit, says Luke. Uh, what should we do? This is it. That's it. Doesn't look like like dead yet. He's just like just been skewered there. He's been skewered. Do you have any medicine? Uh, I do not. <laughs> He's been skewered, and there's a fair chunk of blood. He's not dead, but he certainly ain't getting any healthier, and there's a stone crystal dripping with blood punched straight through him. Yeah, it's just... Morgan just sort of looks over the edge and just... Well, it's a damn shame. Takes out his Colt revolver and just 
unloads one into him. Just to finish him up, just to make it quicker. The sound echoes in the cave, and a man dies in the burning torchlight. Yeah. Luke just kind of looks at you shocked, and in a way, it was a mercy kill. He says, I'll test to that. This was a mercy kill. Yep. He was done for. Luke's twitch is a little more. Luke's twitch is a little more pronounced as he lights another torch and kind of glances down the the corridor and definitely doesn't keep his back to you as he waits for you to go first. Yeah, I'll head on through and lead the way. You lead the way. There's no more dripping from ahead, and it actually climbs up into the rock here. You must be on the hillside by now. And as you go, you're starting to see chips on the rocks. You're starting to see places where the stalactites have been cut. And uh, as you turn the corner into a large gallery of stone, you see that the walls seem to have paintings on them. Not elaborate paintings like you see in catalogs and pictures from back east. These are figures that are just defined enough that you can identify humans, cattle, other creatures. It went winds on, but the passageway winds on. And the torches are burning as time is ticking. So what do you do, Morgan? It sort of surveys the area a little, like, takes a, looks at the, the pictures for a little bit, and then, well, it's not what we're here for. Let's try to, like, move the torch around, see if you can find any bodies in the area. All right. As you go, Luke, uh, sir, Luke kind of pops in close. My ma was half Sue. This is kind of like it. This means, oh, what's these words here? He holds up a finger as he traces a couple of signs. It's not quite an alphabet. It's pictures. And he says, Weeping woman. I, think. I, I And he turns around, sees gone and says, Oh, oh, hey, wait. Or he's after you. <laughs> you head into the darkness. Until you come to a rough carved, almost a staircase. Halfway between a staircase and a ramp, there's delineations where it's been carved. And it's hard to say how much work it took to take this out of the rock itself. For this, this cannot have been a natural part of the cave. You trace your way up carefully, and you're noticing two things as you go with your keen eyes. 
You're noticing that there's tracks in the dust here. Boot prints. And you're noticing spatterings of what can only be dried blood. And you come to a final chamber. Closed, almost triangular in the rock. Pyramidal, hard to say. And the good news is, well, you found bodies. There are niches in the walls. Three of them, one per side of the room. You kind of came in at an angle on one of the corners. And in two of the niches, the torches play over shriveled husks. With their arms crossed, hands on their shoulders, hunched inward, each of them seemingly pinned back into some sort of ancient wooden and le- like crumbled leather apparatus that's half husk, half cocoon, stuck to it by wooden stakes driven all through them. And a ni- third niche in the wall that has the crumbled remains of a cocoon slash husk almost burst open. Huh. It's like body says in like looking like they've obviously been buried here, not like or something of the sort. These are desiccated husks. Drip. 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 Plip. Something spatters on the brim of your hat. Something grows off it black in this in the torchlight. Stretching like tar. Before it snaps and hits the ground. Drip. Drop. This uh, this this ain't some this ain't a this burial place ain't right, says Luke. His mother is half so this burial place ain't right. There should be honor. This uh, this is just what the hell are they wearing? He says, reaching out toward one of the husks. There's a flicker and his hand falls off. And he stares at it, dumbfounded for a minute. Your head is no longer being dripped on, by the way. There's a pause, a split pause for a half second. What are you doing there, Morgan? I guess I'm trying to like, I wasn't going to look to see where the dripping was coming from, but now it's like, what what took his hand off? (laughs) Okay. Roll me a, no, actually no. There's no need now. As you like whip around, turn around and see in one corner. A woman, a native woman by the looks of her long stringy hair, wearing a 
badly tanned dress of hide that's far too pale to be of any animal hide. A woman whose eyes are hidden behind a constant boiling stream of something like black blood streaming down her cheeks and pooling down the long split open side of her dress pattering between the the her breast says she raises a severed hand and slurps blood from it Luke collapses screaming and you hear pattering as his aren't at the blood fountains what are you doing Morgan initially taking a step back and drawing point my gun at her and just what the hell are you that's okay. What? She tosses the hand over her shoulder and walks toward you. Shifting from side to side as she's done does you've seen big cats hunt this way before. Trying to figure out which way the prey is going to run. And you see, and then you see her hands, and you know how he lost his hand because those aren't nails. Those are curving talons. Still pointing, we're gonna just don't come any closer. She's coming closer, Morgan. Yeah, this one is trying to shoot at her. All right. You unload into her. There, There's a scream of rage. And I'd like you to roll me a dexterity plus athletics. At this point, you, place, at this point you can't miss, so we're not going to roll for the shot. But you will need to roll for what happens afterward. Yeah. Uh, two successes. There is a scream of rage. The torch goes flying as she slaps it out of your hand. Maybe a finger went with it. It's hard to tell. There's pain. She's got a hold of you. You roll down the stairs, her on top of you, hissing and spitting and screaming like a wild thing. You feel... One, two, three. She's gouging into you. It's hard to tell where or how. You just know it's bad. And then, with Luke's scream still echoing through the cavern, you feel her lifting you up with an unnatural strength. You have just enough time to see the guttering light of the torch below and the staring eyes of Frank. The bullet holds for it as she casts you down. (sighs) And the stalagmite spikes through your chest. And as your vision begins to fade, you see her leaning over you. The taros like stuff stretching down from her face, stretching out. Plip. And you feel the first drop of it between your lips. It is the sweetest thing you have ever tasted. Plip. And that is how Morgan died. 
and we're all dead. And but. I just realised we went roughly in order of age as well. Yeah. But this wasn't the end. Not by far. Well, it's about 3 a.m. Do we wish to continue or to stop here? Well, I think that's a good place to end a session zero. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy with whatever. We're only about half an hour off our normal ending time anyway, so <laughs> not sure what we'd then, get done in that time. A little bit of setup, but not too much afterwards. Yeah, I'm thinking. 